0: Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in. it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Amen. You can open up your Bibles or your devices to Revelation chapter 20 as we get very close to the end of this incredible book called the book of the apocalypse, the book of Revelation. And uh, we'll finish that before March the 31st. March the 31st, as you heard earlier, is going to be a spectacular day with baby dedication. We've got baptisms that day, so you don't want to miss that one. It's going to be great. Now, as we get closer to the end, uh, it gets... It gets amazing in the reality that should set into our souls about God being on his throne. He has a plan, and in the darkest moment, he still has a plan. And so he will help you navigate through every moment of your life, even to the very, very end. Now, Revelation, we saw in chapter one, Jesus was revealed, the, the resurrected Jesus, not the same Jesus, uh, the persona of Jesus when he was the suffering sacrifice in the Gospels. He is the resurrected king of the universe. In chapters two and three, We took a look at the church age, the 2,000 years uh, since the church was birthed until now and until Jesus returns for his church. Chapter 4, we saw the removal of the church, the harpazo, the the rapture, the catching away of the church. We saw a a glimpse, a fresh view of heaven in all of its splendor and magnificence. In chapter 5, we see now Jesus holding a scroll of of judgments sealed up in his hands. The search was made over heaven and all the earth to find the one worthy to open the scroll and Jesus is the only one and he steps up to do it. That would unfold what happens in chapter 16 through 18, which is the great tribulation, a time, a season of suffering and tribulation and judgment that Jesus said, Matthew 24, the world has never seen and never will see again. It's the worst of the worst when God's judgment and the judgment of Satan, the enemy, is cast upon this earth. That lasts from chapter 6 through 18. Last week, we saw chapter 19, the marriage of Jesus, the bridegroom, to his eternal bride, who is the church. And then at the same time, we saw the return of Jesus to begin to reign Upon this earth. Now, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they have been bound. Satan is still roaming, and we'll see what happens with that today. Today, we're going to see God's power and righteousness revealed. That's what we're going to see in chapter 20. And it has a message in it for you. Tell your neighbor, this is for you. And it is. It's for you. my, my, My prayer, my hope, my goal is that every one of us leaves differently than we can. And we leave with this awareness of a significant reality that every single person, one by one, will experience what we're going to see today. The title of the message is, All Rise. This is an expression that most of you wouldn't hear very often, hopefully, because it's heard in the courtroom. And some of us have had experiences in the courtroom, uh, but all of us have not. And when you're in the courtroom, when the judge walks in, there's the bailiff who says, "All rise," and and it honors the judge and the position that he holds as the judge. And so, Revelation chapter twenty, I'm going to cover a few points on the back of your worship guide, candidly, just to cover the points that the narrative as it opens up and moves forward to what the most significant point of today's message is. The first one is riddance, riddance. In chapter 20, verse 1, it begins this like this. It says, Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a huge chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he tied him up for a thousand years. And then the angel threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it so that he could not deceive the nations until the 1,000 years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a brief period of time. Just a couple of things I want to point out. So Satan is still on this earth. Jesus returns with the church. Uh, And when he gets here, the first thing he does is an angel comes and binds Satan. Satan. Now keep in mind, Satan is a fallen angel. He left his estate as an angel. He claimed to be the new king in town of heaven. And God banished him from heaven, and he deceived a third of the angels to follow him. So Satan is a fallen angel. The demons are fallen angels who followed him. And he has caused havoc and grief to this world and humanity, and even to God Himself, costing God His own Son on a cross since the fall. Well, His days are limited. Okay, his days are almost over. And so what happens right here is another angel. See, don't ever be deceived into believing that Satan is all powerful. He's not. He is a created being. God is the creator, and he created an angel who became Satan. So here's what happens. Now another angel comes, and he picks up Satan. The word in Greek means he he, he threw him with force. He thrust him into the abyss, chained him up, sealed the door, and his first level of incarceration is a thousand years. Now, I just like the fact that an an angel, just a mere angel, it says, an angel came and cast the most vile, evil, powerful enemy this world has ever known. He just thrust him into prison for a thousand years. Now, so we have riddance now. So I want you to understand now, Jesus has come back to this earth to rule and reign, just like the, prophet, uh, the prophets have told that he would, just like Jesus said that he would. He's not, he doesn't come alone. He comes with the saints, the, the church that he's raptured away. And now we come back to earth and we rule and reign with him. This is, this is incredibly important. And you'll understand why when we get to the end of the message. It's important that you live your life as a Christian for Christ, okay? Because it, in the end... It matters, and that's what we're going to see. So keep in mind, now, this earth, Jesus is in charge. He's the ruler and the reigner. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace. And he rules from the Middle East. And the the saints of God, the Christians who return with him, reign with him, and we administer governing uh, strength to this world. Now, Now, listen why that's important. Because the people who survived the tribulation, okay, the, the, many of them will be murdered or martyred. We'll see them in a few minutes. But there is many people who, were survive, who will survive the tribulation. Okay, they won't take the mark of the beast, uh, and, and they'll they'll still survive during the thousand years. They'll reproduce. And let's just say there's, uh, let's just say out of seven and a half billion, if he came today, let's just say a billion of them survive. Well, in a thousand years, in the last thousand years, the population of the globe has, has changed from 1.5 billion approximately to 7.5 billion. That's how, that's how many people, that's how fast population grows. I mean, we're like rats, you know, rabbits. I mean, we just, we just produce. Okay. And in this time, these people will produce and there is no devil. And there are no demons. This is a place of perfection, man. There's no sin. There's no sickness, no sorrow, no death. Uh, the Bible says if someone dies at 100, they're considered just a baby. It will be restored. This globe will be restored to the way it was uh, before the antediluvian period, before uh, before Noah's day, before the great flood, when a canopy surrounded the globe. So ultraviolet light didn't destroy your body. So people will live to be like a thousand. The people who enter as a baby into the, into the millennial kingdom, it's likely they'll live the whole time. Now, this is pretty cool. I mean, I like that. I like life, and we live in a life that's full of, full of the devil. Amen? Right. That life, the millennial reign, the thousand years, there is no devil. He's bound. I mean, it's good in the hood in that day. It's a time, a season, a, a place you want to be, okay? You can't even imagine. You can't even imagine a moment hardly without the devil, and here's a thousand years where Jesus is king, and there is no devil. Man, I just get a little excited. That's good. The second, so there's riddance of the enemy. The second thing I want you to see is there's a resurrection that takes place. Now, watch this in verse four. It says, "Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who have been given authority to judge." These are the saints, the church, who have been taken to heaven for the seven year tribulation. Now they return to rule and reign. With Christ. It says, I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the Word of God, and these had not worshiped the beast or his image and had refused to receive his mark on their forehead or hand. And they came to life now and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The ones who get murdered or martyred during the seven years of tribulation because they will not take the mark of the beast, and so they cut their heads off because they claim Christianity in those seven terrible years, they get resurrected back to life, and they rule and reign with the church for Jesus during this thousand years. Then it says in verse 5, the rest of the dead, pause, These are dead people who have died since Adam and Eve who have died outside the sacrificial system found in Jesus, okay? These are lost people, okay? Billions of them, okay? They don't get raised from the dead yet, but their day's coming. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody gets raised up. And I'll define that in just a minute, all right? Now, so all these lost people now, they don't get raised up yet. And then he says, now this is the first resurrection now let me pause right here is this the first chronologically the first resurrection no it's not Lazarus was raised from the dead Jesus was raised from the dead the church those who have dead who who have died in Thessalonians it says the dead in Christ will rise first they got about six feet further to go and those of us that remain will join them we go to heaven so there's a resurrection so it happens okay this is the first resurrection of the millennial reign Okay, And it's the resurrection of the martyred saints. Now, let's keep going. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection because the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is cool. Listen to this. So I I talk about all time that that there's a simplicity to God's word. If we can can grasp a few of them, it changes the way we look at his whole word, uh, the, the whole word of God. And one of them is this. Everybody is guaranteed to be born once. I'm looking around. Everybody in here was born. Get thee behind me, Satan. Did you all see that thing flying brother? If he lands, somebody come and smash him in Jesus' name. All right? Now, here's what happens. You you get to keep your employment for another week. All right? Now, thank you, Kyle. You're my hero for the day, brother. Uh, Now, here's the thing. I didn't even lose train of thought. Okay, everybody gets born once. Everybody in here has been born. I'm looking. None of y'all were hatched. None of y'all are test tube babies. You were born. You got that? Check that box. Okay? Now, the Bible says to be born once means you will experience two deaths, a physical death when your body stops functioning, and a spiritual death when your spirit ceases to exist in the presence of God, and yet it exists in a torment of a place called hell. So Jesus came to fix that second two-death part. Jesus came, and Nicodemus said, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I got to enter in my mama's womb again. That's a little messed up. Don't want to do that. Ain't going to happen. Jesus said, no, no. Your physical death, and then you have, excuse me, physical birth, and then you need a spiritual rebirth. So here's what it means. You're born in the physical. You've already checked that box. When you're born again, when you give your life, you yield yourself to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. His Holy Spirit seals you, and you are born again. You have now two births, physical and spiritual. Listen to me. Two births means you only experience one death. One birth, you have two deaths. What does that mean? It means if you're born physically and you're born again spiritually, it means your body will die short of the rapture. Your body will die. Death is 100% fatal, (laughs) and life is 100% fatal as well. We're all dying of a thing called life. And so short of the rapture, every single one of you will die. Isn't that a, look at your neighbor and say, you're dying. Just just cheer them up with that little thought right there. Okay. Now here's the thing. If you're born once and you get born twice, you'll die physically, but you will not die spiritually. Second death cannot touch you because you're a child of God adopted into the kingdom. Man, that's just, I could stop right there and just go home and celebrate, but I ain't going to got gotten other stuff. Okay. Now, so let's move on to the next one. Next one, I'm going to put these three together. It's called the release, the revolt, and the reckoning. All right. In verse seven, it says, now when the thousand years are finished, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to bring them together for the battle. They are as numerous as the grains of sand in the sea. All right, now listen. A thousand years, in just those first few verses, a thousand years has just passed. The whole millennial kingdom now is come and gone. And at the end of the thousand-year millennial, when Jesus is reigning, and we as Christians are reigning with him, and the martyred saints are reigning with him, and the population is growing, now there's whatever. Let's just say five billion people. It says there's enough people. It's like the grains of the sand on the shore. It's just a multiplied millions and billions of people. And Satan is released to deceive. Now, you got to ask yourself a question right here. you got to say, okay, this has been a thousand years good in the hood, all right? No devil. Man, everybody's great. Everything's going great. Why does the devil have to come back and mess this up again, all right? It's the same answer as the... Question asked, previously, if God knew the devil was going to cause so much trouble, why did God allow the devil to become the devil anyway? If God, when he created man, Adam, and woman, Eve, if he knew they were going to fall and curse everybody, including us, who would be born after that, why would he allow that, that, um, that idea, the idea of evil, why would he allow that? You want to know the answer? And I'm, I'm going to simplify this because I'm a simple person. And I don't, I don't pretend to know it all, but I know if you can get this, it'll help you. The reason there's a devil is because God is about his glory. He's about your good, but he's more impressed with his glory, and he deserves it all. So here's what happens. He created all mankind, you, your neighbor, me, everybody, Adam, Eve, everybody, created them all, and he gave them and he gives you the ability and the freedom to choose God or to choose to stay in your sin curse. Now, here's why he does that. Because where does God get more glory? If he would have created all mankind without an opportunity for evil he would have created robotic humanity. And he would have said, everybody just worship me because I'm God and I'm good. And everybody just bowed out and worship, And that's good. I mean, that's a sweet moment. One day we'll do that. But what is greater glory for him to create people with no choice or to create people with a choice, allow an angel to become Satan to deceive so that he can say, wow, Satan, you have captured all of them. Every last soul now you have captured. How can I get glory from this? Here's what he does. He says, I'm going to wrap myself in skin. And I'm going to come down to that earth, and I'm going to lay my perfect holy self out on a cross, and I'm going to let you drive spikes in my hands and feet and press a crown in my brow, and I'm going to let you put a spear in my side, and I'm going to blood, to bleed and be the blood sacrifice. And my blood will, will op- offer atonement, redemption, forgiveness for every sin that man has ever committed. And for those who receive that grace gift, I'll get to glory. Now, isn't that good? I'm telling you, brother Joel, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. I mean, that stokes me up to know he did that because he's about his glory, but he's offering you some good in the middle of his glory. All right, so so then it says in verse nine. So that's the release of Satan, and why? Verse nine, they went up on the broad plain of the earth, and they encircled the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But the fire came down in heaven and devoured them completely. So in this season. After the thousand years, in this moment when Satan is released to deceive, out of all the billions, they get to choose. You got to choose, and they get to choose. They'll have an opportunity to choose deception or reality. And that is the revolt. That's what many men and women, boys and girls, won't receive Christ. And so then it says in verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are too. And they will be tormented, tormented there day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. And I like that part. Okay, this is the reckoning. He's freed for a while. He had a thousand years of incarceration. Now he's freed to, freed to cause some more trouble. Now he's cast forever and ever and ever into torment. And that's what he deserves. You've heard, you've heard the expression, uh, paybacks are hell. <laughs> there, there's where it comes from. There's where it comes from. Some of y'all, I can't believe he said that. That's straight out of the Bible. Straight out of the Bible. You can believe what you want to. Okay, twist it around if you want to. That's where that comes from. Payback for him is eternal hell, hell, torment, and suffering. And I like the fact that God, the sovereign, true, and living says enough is enough. I'm going to torment you, and you're going to suffer for all of eternity. One day, his day's coming. So, so, uh, so uh, what, what, you, you, some of y'all are thinking, man, he covered like five points right there in like, I don't know, 15 minutes. We're going to get out early. No, we ain't getting out early. It's not getting out. Tell your neighbor, not early. Okay? Because I said all of that in a whirlwind to get to this part. This lays the groundwork. That's the narrative to get us to this place. This is for you. Tell your neighbor, this is for you. What And the final word on your outline is reason. What's the reason for it all? Why does the pastor come and preach his guts out every week? Why does the pastor share the gospel to mostly saved people every week? Why do we as a church plan this year to send people all over the world sharing Jesus? Why do we give our money to support the cost of the mission of the church? Why do we do what we do It's because it ain't over yet, and there's a day coming, you see, and there's a day coming when everybody will be judged, everybody. Tell your neighbor, you got to see the judge. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I am not the judge. Don't pretend to be the judge, but I want you to leave today remembering what I talked about because this is one of the most profound truths and realities that you'll ever wrap your mind around, and it is this. One day, everybody gets to see the judge, and this zipper is not user-friendly. Okay? Oh, there it is. All right. Now... I put this on because I want you to know that there's a judgment that's going to take place, and everybody, every every person, dead, alive, everybody sees the judge. So in this, I wanted everybody to remember. So I called a friend of mine, Blythe. I said, "Hey, you got a gavel? Because they do auctioning." He says, "Yeah, I got a gavel. How big of a one do you want?" I said, "The bigger the better." I, what I meant was, I didn't want him to bring me like a little toy. Here we go. This court is now in session. Look what he showed up with. You won't forget this gavel. <laughs> this, this court is now in session. Here comes the judge. Now, you remember what this message is about right now, because this is the biggest <laughs> gavel you've ever seen, okay? He careered it on this. I look a little goofy, but he careered it, okay? Now, what, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I want you to understand something. Everybody sees the judge. I want you to know who the judge is. If I ask you, hey, who's the judge? Most of you would say God. Well, the Trinity is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But I want you to know that that the one who is the judge is Jesus the Son. And I don't just say that lightly. I don't just say that because it sounds good. I want you to know in Scripture where it says that. In Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Acts 17, verse 30 says, Because he... God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him Jesus from the dead. John five twenty two. The Father God, in fact, judges no one, but He has given all judgment to Jesus the Son. Everybody say, J- Jesus is the Son, uh, the Judge. Jesus is the Judge. You already knew he was the son. Now you know he's a judge. Okay, so so judge Jesus, not judge Judy. Judge Jesus is going to be presiding over this situation, over this judgment. Okay, now I want you to understand something. If you if you ever have to experience a courtroom environment, it looks like this. You have a judge presiding over it. You have a bailiff who's there to maintain order. You have a defendant and a defense lawyer, and you have the plaintiff and his lawyer. What's his lawyer called? Prosecutor. Okay, they're all there. You have a jury. You have witnesses. And then you have a court reporter keeping track of everything. And the object of the whole thing is really simple. Maintain order and civility while determining absolute truth. Sometimes it works well, sometimes not so much. I want you to understand something. That the judgment where Jesus is the judge, it looks nothing like what I just described. The judgment where Jesus presides over this courtroom environment, you got Judge Jesus and you. No lawyer, no external testimonies from friends and neighbors and family and your mama who going to tell how good you are. They're not there. You and Judge Jesus. Order is maintained because Jesus is God. Justice and truth is determined because, listen to this, Jesus is not looking for the truth. He does not need your rebuttal. He does not need your testimony. He does not need your ideas or philosophy because Jesus knows the truth. Because, listen, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the standard by which truth is even determined. And so truth is now the judge, and we stand before him. That's a little bit sobering, you know? And everything we've ever said, everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever done is recorded in heaven. I want you to know that. And then one day, we're held accountable at some level or degree of all of that. I want you to know there's only two judgments, And there's only two destinies. I want you to understand, I want you to sink this, let this sink into the gray matter and into your soul. There's only two judgments and only two eternal destinies. Now, what we want to do sometimes is fabricate others, modify the ones that exist. So, I want you to know what they really look like biblically. The two judgments one is for serving, the other judgment, Is for sinning. One is for saints. One is for sinners. The two eternal destinies—very simple: heaven and hell. There's no in between. There's no purgatory. There's no redos. There's no no place out there where you can kind of get take another stab at it. Well, I kind of messed that one up. Let me have a do-over. No, no. Two judgments and two destinies. Now, listen to me. You will not, cannot, ever experience both judgments or both destinies you either get one judgment or the other and you either have one eternal destiny or the other it is that simple isn't it funny how God is really simple because he knew who he was dealing with the simplicity of who we are now I want to show you the first one I want to talk about is not in Revelation we'll get to that one in a minute I want to talk about the better judgment this one's found in Corinthians but first I want to tell you what it is The first one is the judgment of the saved. This is the judgment seat of Christ. It is the Bema seat of glory, okay? That's what it's called, the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment number one. This is where our works, how we live our life as a Christian is judged and hence rewarded, That's what this is all about. This this is the place not where we're judged for the sin we committed. Listen, if you're a believer, if you've been born again, if you are saved, if the Holy Spirit of God has sealed your soul as a child of God, when you go to this judgment, it's because of what Jesus did. He allows you to go. You will not answer for your sin. That judgment was placed On the cross 2,000 years ago. This judgment is for how you lived your life. Now listen what it says. Oh, and, and if you make it to this one, then you go to heaven. That's it. Case closed. You will not go to hell if you are at the judgment seat of Christ. So listen what it looks like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, for we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 1 Corinthians spells it out, what this looks like. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, he says, this judgment is not about your sin This judgment is the fact that your soul is built on the foundation now of Jesus Christ and what he did. So he says now in verse 12, so if anyone builds on the foundation, which is Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, your Bible may say stubble, each builder's work will be plainly seen for the day, judgment seat of Christ, will make it, uh, will will be it will be revealed we'll make it clear because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what kind of work each has done if then what someone has built survives he will receive a reward if someone's work is burned up he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved but only as through the fire so let me paint a picture for of of this about me. So let's say I pull out of the church parking lot today and uh, somebody's driving around the curve way too fast and mow me over and I die. You know, some of y'all would say praise the Lord. Some of y'all would say, oh my. Okay. Kendra would say, I hope his life insurance was paid up. Okay. And I'm, I'm in heaven. I mean, I'm gone absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then one day after the rapture of the church, we, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ for our rewards. Everything I've ever done in my life since I professed Christianity, everything I've ever done, every deed, every work, everything, will be judged in this refiner's fire. It's called the torch test. He, he's looking at you. You're standing before Judge Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and he just, phew, the refiner's fire blows over you, okay? Everything I've done that's bad is consumed by that fire. And everything I've done with the right motivation to, for, for the name of Jesus to lift him up for the glory of God, <clears throat> the Bible says I get a reward for that, okay? Now, I want you to know something. Your works will not get you to heaven, but your works will follow you to heaven. Now, that's cool. You can't be saved by being good enough. That's why Jesus had to come and be good enough for you. So your works will not save you, but your works will follow you. Okay, now, so what happens is he gives us these rewards. And, and so now I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm, I trust the Lord that my motivation has been right a few times, and I'll have a few rewards. I like what he says at the end. Some, it'll all be consumed, man, and they'll just come out the other side like they've been at a bad weenie roast. And they're smelling like smoke. They got no rewards, but they're still there. Okay, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I want to come through the other side and, and have something, a reward that I can give to Jesus at the marriage That's what it's for. Now, not only that, the rewards that you get based on how you live this life will determine what level of responsibility you have when you reign with Christ for a 1,000 years and then ultimately eternally in heaven. That's really cool stuff. It means this. During the 1,000 years when there's all these people on on this planet, Jesus is the king. The saints are reigning with him based on how you live this life. It affects how much responsibility he offers you in that kingdom. And I'm just telling you right now. You'll hear people say, well, if I can just get me a tar paper shack over in the corner of heaven. I don't want a tar paper shack in heaven. I don't want to be mopping the streets of gold. I don't want to be living in the kingdom, you know, changing oil on somebody's car as a saint of God who came out on the other side with no rewards. I want to be one then, just like now, that King Jesus can say, hey, boy, I trusted you and you did a few things good. I'm going to let you experience a different level of that in the kingdom. Amen? That should be the goal in our life. How many people do you know say they're Christians and live like the devil, And I'm not judging them saying they're all lost. I'm saying there's a bunch of people, and I've walked in those shoes too, claiming Christianity and living like the devil Christ came to defeat. And that's not what Christianity is supposed to be about. So how does God balance all that? Well, first of all, he looks at our attitude of how we lived our life, why we did it. I'm a preacher. God called me to preach, quite honestly, probably when I was about 11 years old, and I was just too dumb to see it coming. And and so now I'm, I'm called to preach. If if every Sunday, I mean, it happens every now and then, but if every Sunday Kendra had to wake me up and say, you got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. You're the preacher. you got to go to church. My attitude ain't right. I'm, there's no rewards on that. If I come down here and preach, and, uh, I, and, and, and then my attitude's wrong. If, if what I do, I begrudge. If what I do because I get paid, if what I do is because of one thing or another, other than because God has called me to do it, God has gifted me to do it, and I yield it back to him as a service unto our God, then my attitude is wrong. The second thing, not only why we did it, is the authority in which we did it. What is it that we do? Let me explain what this is. God will judge you on whether or not you did what you were supposed to do. Yeah. he's, He's given you a purpose and a calling in life. He's gifted you to accomplish that purpose. I want you to know something. Listen, God will never expect you to do anything that he doesn't provide the ability to accomplish. He will never say, I want you to go do that. He I, Let me just tell you, he w- he has never said, and he will never say, hey, Brother Joel, I think I would like you to change prof- professions. I want you to be an astrophysicist. He will never say that. Well, how do I know this? Because he has not gifted me to do that. He might tell Kendra, my wife, that, okay? And then he will hold her accountable for it, okay? Okay? But he will not, he will not do that to me, which leads me to the third point, ability. So, so you have authority, attitude, now ability. He will not hold you responsible at the judgment seat of Christ for accomplishing things that he never gave you the ability to do. But the things he gave you the ability to do, hmm, he's going to put the torch test on you to see if you accomplished it. Kendra is a calculus teacher. He didn't call me to teach calculus because he knew before time began, everybody would fail calculus. Okay. He called Kendra to be a calculus teacher and he holds her responsible for that ability. He called me to preach. He gave me the ability and the personality and the, the audacity <laughs> to preach God's word. He holds me accountable for this. And so I, I ask you, w- w- what did he give you the ability to do because he's given it and now what are you doing with it because it matters in the kingdom how we do what we do how do i know it matters how do i know god looks at us differently judges us differently because in luke 12 48 it says of him who has much much is required now you can right now you can be thinking well i don't really have that much trust me you have much. And he expects much from those that he has given much. You see, God judges us based on us. He doesn't compare us to the person next to us. He doesn't say, I'm judging you. You didn't career it, but that scoundrel next to you, and he was terrible. So I'm going to give you an A plus. No, no. We are all judged based on the standard of the perfection of Jesus Christ under the guidelines of our attitude, our authority, and our ability. And that's it. Let me give you a good example of what that looks like. Giving financially. Sometimes we, in the church, there's, a, there's kind of a general statistic that 20% of the people give 80% of the money. Okay? Well, that's a pretty real statistic, And so some people will give a little bit of money and they'll wash their hands clean and say, okay, check that box, gave some money. Listen, God's not worried about how much money you give. He's worried about how much money you keep. He's not worried about what the little line over there says, what the dollar amount is on that line. He's worried about how much is on that line when you get your account statement at the end of the month. You see, it's relative to the bigger picture. And it's the same with the abilities that God gives us. So it goes through the torch test and and we come out with these rewards. So that's the judgment for the server, the judgment of the saint, the judgment seat of Christ. If you go through this judgment, you will not experience the other judgment. If you Go through this judgment. Your destination, your eternal destiny is already secured because you're at this judgment because of what Jesus did. And if He has done that for you in your life and you've received it, your destiny is heaven. Now, I would like to stop right there and pretend for just a minute that every soul in here has surrendered yourself. To Jesus as Lord and Savior. And all of us will go to the judgment seat of Christ. And then we'll spend a thousand years reigning on this earth with Jesus. And then ultimately he recreates heaven. uh, A brand new heaven. And we'll spend eternity there. I'd like to pretend that this is it. But it's not it. You know how I know it's not it? Because Jesus didn't stop there. And the book of Revelation doesn't stop with the judgment seat of Christ. Because there's judgment number two which leads to destination number two. And here's what it looks like. This is called the judgment now of the sinner. This is the great white throne judgment. I want you to understand if you're a Christian, you will not experience the great white throne judgment. Never say, yeah, one day we get to stand before the great white right throne judgment. If you stand before the great white throne of judgment, you're in a bad, bad place and it's way too late. So don't say that. Okay. Now, This is the judgment of sins that are outside of Jesus' sacrifice for sin. These are unforgiven sins because they're outside of what Jesus died on a cross to forgive. And the destination of everybody who goes through this. This isn't to decide if somebody's good enough. This is to help everybody who ever rejected Christ understand very clearly when you look into the face of truth, whose name is Judge Jesus, you have no excuses Romans says that the invisible nature of God has been revealed through the visible things of creation. So that men, all men, are now without excuse. We, we can't one day and say, well, God, I, Jesus, judge Jesus, I'm sorry. Can, can I throw something in right here? And he'll say, don't need it. But, but you don't understand Jesus. Don't need it. But I didn't. Don't need it. Because he's truth. He knows the whole story. He knows how much revelation you've had. He knows how many church services you've sat through. He knows how many people who have knocked on your door and witnessed to you. He knows how many people have given a testimony. He knows how many funerals you've been to and you've heard about this heaven and hell thing. He knows the whole council. There is no surprises to judge Jesus because he is truth. Now, listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. We're almost done. It says, Then I saw the large white throne and one who was seated on it. That's the great white throne judgment. And the one who's seated on it is Judge Jesus. It says, because on it, the earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. These are the lost people, the people who never accepted Christ. And notice what it says, the great and the small. Judgment has no respecter of persons. Somebody's successful, prominent. uh, um, Somebody is lives in poverty their whole life, judgment doesn't segregate. Judgment has no respecter of person. Everybody that's dead outside of Christ, every single person who's ever lived, if they were unsaved, will be resurrected to stand before this judgment. So then it says this, the books were opened. Now, Judge Jesus is there. All the dead people who are lost are resurrected. He has there, then books were opened and another book was opened, the book of life. So the dead now were judged by what was written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead and the, uh, that were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each one of them was judged according to his deeds. So, so here's what it looks like. Judge Jesus is there. Now the resurrected, lost, dead, are raised. Jesus now has in his presence books. There's a book, the book of life. There's plural books, the book of deeds. And so in this book, he can show everybody. He got it right here. You're not in this book, okay? You can look right here for yourself, okay? Last name. Sorry, not in here, okay? So, so it's, the, the, the book of life, is they're not in it. And what's in these other books? Book of deeds, book of works. And say, oh, I see all this stuff right here. And every bit of it's outside of Jesus. Because in those works are also every sin they ever committed, okay? And they give an account for that. Now, let me tell you something that some people believe. I don't know if it's true or not. Some people believe that one of the books is the Old Testament because in the Old Testament includes the Ten Commandments. And and, and if you go very far in life witnessing for Jesus, you will encounter somebody along the way say, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. I'm not real crazy about the church, you know, but I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I, I, I do pretty good. I believe in the end I will have done more good things than I did bad things, and God's going to let me into heaven. Because I have an idea about how I live my life. I live by the Ten Commandments. That's what I I live by the Ten Commandments. You ever heard somebody say that? (laughs) No, you don't live by the Ten Commandments. The reason Jesus had to come and die on a cross is because you can't live by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments weren't given to prove to us how good we are at keeping the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was given to prove how pitifully terrible we are at doing good. And yet people will say, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. If anybody ever says that to you, ask them one simple question. Just say, you know, honestly, I hadn't read them in a while. Remind me what those ten are. (laughs) And then listen to them crawfish. They don't know the Ten Commandments either. Okay? They don't live. the, The bottom line is they want to answer to themselves and not a God that's bigger than anything we can imagine. And so in this day, they get to answer for it. Verse 14 then says, after the judgment, the great white throne judgment, then death and Hades or hell, they were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. And sometimes preachers get a bad rap. Yeah, that pr- one reason I don't really live as a Christian, because I ain't crazy about them people down at the church. God won't hold you accountable for them people down at the church. God will hold you accountable for you. Well, one reason I don't go to church, because that preacher, man, he's always talking about blood, and he's talking about sin, and he's talking about, uh, and he's talking about hell and fire. God won't hold you accountable for the preacher talking about hell, fire, blood, and sin. God will hold you accountable for what you did with that truth. We live in a world now. Nobody wants to talk about hell. Nobody wants to talk about blood. Nobody wants to talk about sin. And if you leave this place and you find you another church, and they never talk about hell, blood, or sin, you're in the wrong place. You're not hearing truth. Because Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. Why? Because Jesus was there when they created hell. And it wasn't created for you. It was created for the devil and the demons. But in that moment of deception, the doors were open for those who would reject Christ and die in their sin. And it's not this well, Satan's going to be in charge and it's just going to be a party. I I, I used to have friends who rejected Christ and they said, I don't care if I go to hell or not. It's just going to be a party in hell. There'd be no party in heaven. Satan's not in charge in heaven. There is no hierarchy. There's suffering. There's, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm dieth not right here in this verse. He says three times, lake of fire, lake of fire, lake of fire, not, this is not a good destination. This is not a good end to this life that God has given and afforded you everything that you need to live it. So every dead person was raised, they're judged and there is a lake of fire waiting ahead. So I was thinking about who are these people? Who, who's in this group that miss the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of works? And who, who stands at the great white throne unprotected by the gift of grace found in Jesus. One group would be the bold sinner. That's the one who their whole life, because of circumstances or whatever reason, they say, I don't want it, not interested in it. I've heard it all. I'm not interested. That's a bold sinner. They will stand at the great white throne judgment. Another group is the self-righteous. These are those that I refer to that say, you know, I, everything will work out in the end. I'm a a, a good person. I want you to know something. You're not a good person. I want you to know something about the pastor of the church at Sturkey Hills. He's not a good person. Now, I am a saint of God, but I'm not a good person. The only thing good that ever comes from my life is what Jesus reveals in my life. Everything that comes out of my life that's in Joel, Pastor Joel, is not good. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that our goodness, our righteousness before God is filthy rags. That terminology are menstrual rags. That's how pitifully nasty we are as people standing alone. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. Jesus is the only one. The only good I have is the more... Hmm. The more I let Jesus reveal himself in my life, the more good comes out. The less of Jesus that comes out of my life, the more of me that's revealed, and that's less good. I'm not good. You're not good. And so these are self-righteous who think they got it figured out. The next one is probably the most alarming to me, but this is real. I'll call these the procrastinators. The procrastinators are the one who sat in church years and years and years Sunday after Sunday after Sunday they heard relatives and friends and wives and husbands and children's and children and parents testify and speak into them about the reality of God's love and the great gift of grace in Jesus on a cross and and, and they think yeah I, I, I hear that and I believe that I'm thinking about that I'm just not ready right now I'm just not ready to surrender my whole life and live for him I'm just not ready but but I will one day I will one day they procrastinate right into the moment when they stand at the great white throne of judgment and then the last one are church members church members like some of us who who we go to church We may be a member of the church. We may even serve in the church. And in some cases, we may even pastor in a church. And we claim Christianity, but we're not children of God. We've never been saved and sealed by His Holy Spirit. These are the ones who have a profession without a possession. And I want you to know there's a chasm of difference between professing Christianity and possessing Jesus Christ as Lord, up close, personal, and real. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, he says on that day, many will come to me. They'll stand before me and they'll say, hey, hey, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do the other thing? Hey, hey, I did this, I did this, I did this. And Jesus said, and in that day, I will look at them and say, depart from me because I never knew you. That breaks my heart. I can't be certain of anybody's salvation but my own. But it breaks my heart that as 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 well as I possibly can, led by the Holy Spirit, I pray and I share the gospel truth, and few receive it. Because I know, I know there's people who profess something that they don't possess. And so, the reason, which was the final point of the title called All Rise, is At some point, everybody rises to the occasion of Judge Jesus. And it's really important that you search God out to know which judgment you will be a part of. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It means just consider it before God. God, am I a child of yours? I just want to know. This week I had a, a young lady. She said, "I got a question." I said, "What?" She said, "I can't really remember the exact date when I was saved, but I remember I was saved. I just don't remember. Is can I be lost if I don't remember the exact day?" That's a great question. Why? Because she was just wanted to be absolutely sure. That she understood all she needs to understand about being saved, and and it do, it doesn't matter if you remember the exact date that you were saved. It just matters that you know you're saved. All right. She's searching it out. We were feeding homeless people at 11B. A guy named Edwin had. I, I think it was a divine appointment with this guy. And homeless people are funny. They they have no circle of comfort. You know how everybody's got a little circle. He just. I mean. He, he just put his grill right up in my circle. He's like this. And I could smell him. I could feel him breathing on me. That's it. That's it. He had no circle, you know. His circle, he thought, he thought my circle was his circle. And he said, I'm, I'm born again. And I used to drive a church van and teach Sunday school and go door-to-door witnessing. He said, I lived in Indiana. My life was on fire. And he said, one thing after another happened and I have backslidden and I've got addicted to alcohol and I find myself living on the street. And here's what he said, do you think I could backslide and lose my salvation before I get delivered from this trap I'm in? Man, that's a powerfully good question. And I said, no, Edwin, I believe when Jesus comes into your life and the Holy Spirit seals you as a child of God, you're saved. He'll discipline you for being backslidden, but you can still be a child of God. Just this week, those questions have come up, and I'm here to ask you a question. Has the Holy Spirit truly revealed to you, hey, you're a child of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. You'll be standing at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the good deeds that you've done, or is there this seed of doubt deep in your soul that says, man, I, I kind of missed the memo on the reality of that, and uh, I need to do something about it. If that's you, the Bible says this is your day of salvation, you can do something about that right now. And you say, well, I'm not ready to do that. Let me just tell you, in the last two and a half years, I've lost three Dear friends of mine, men, prematurely, a few weeks ago, a dear friend of mine, a preacher an evangelist, Jeff Sloan, went into a coal mine, and the Lord took him home from the depth of a coal mine. And then just a couple of years ago, right here, Chuck Tharp, one of our deacons, man, a dear friend of mine, a leader, bent over to pet his dog and didn't stand up again. the Lord took him home from his driveway. And just before that, a friend of mine, Stan DeCoursey, met me right out there on a Sunday afternoon. He said, hey, you want to go up in my plane? And I said, I can't today. I got a new members class. And he said, you go up with me next time? I said, yeah. He went up that afternoon with a friend. He hit a cold pocket of air and his plane came down and he died instantly. Didn't even scratch the plane. And i just tell you that not to scare you, not to threaten you. I just, I just want you to know life is fragile life is brief, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you to, I want to know in this moment if if God is dealing with you, and, and right now, just the privacy of you, where you sit, is God revealing to you that you're lost or that you're uncertain about your salvation? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come and get you. I'm just going to pray with you. If you're here today and you're concerned about your salvation, would you raise your hand so I can see it? Would you put your hand up today? Nobody looking around. Just me looking for hands. Amen. Amen. Well, then for the rest of us, what will we do differently tomorrow? than we did yesterday with the awareness now that one day as Christians we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because it really, really matters. Lord God, we thank you for loving somebody like me, somebody like us. In spite of us, you keep on loving. God, we thank you that you didn't just say it, you did something about it. You came down here on a rescue mission. You died a brutal death on a cross to rescue us from our sinful condition so that you could mark us and call us your own forever. That is just so amazing. So right now we just say thank you. And as we sing here in just a minute, we just want to celebrate the greatness of that amazing gift called grace. We celebrate Jesus, the son who makes it all possible, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray it in Jesus' name.